Hey, this is Andre Butler, pastor of Faith Experience Church. You're listening to the Faith Experience Podcast. Thank you for joining us. We hope that this message helps you engage your faith and experience the future God has for you. Once again, are y'all all right? Thank you. I'd like to welcome you back to the uh, Broken Series. Um, today we're going to do it a little bit different. We have some special guests in the house. Uh, last week we got a little bit of insight into their home, uh, what it's like to live with married people, and how they do life. So I would like to welcome you to, to my stage today, Gary and Kenya. Y'all give it up for Gary and Kenya. What up, Detroit? So... Today we're going to talk about what happens on the other side. When you are in love and you are married, it can be wonderful and great, and it also is a little bit of work. 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 So that's today's word for the day, y'all. So when I point to y'all, y'all say work. Work. All right. So we're going to start off with a Kanadi. Oh, my goodness. They've been married 26 years. (laughs) Y'all give it up for 26. I made it to seven, and I'm trying to. 26. <laughs> Praise God. So I'm going to ask y'all, what do you do to keep the marriage hot? What, what's, after 26 years, how do you still keep it popping? You know what I'm saying? Let's unwind. <laughs> it's a family show, sir. So 26 years, you know, the secret I've learned is just to not listen to nothing she's saying. No, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. <laughs> no. He to everything I say. No. So, yes, I, the, one of, the, the, one of the, the keys to the sauce, I think, is knowing that you have great counsel in-house. Some, much better than the voices you're hearing on the outside. And so I have to realize that she is not trying to tell me anything that's going to hurt, harm, or take something away from me. And when I, when I get myself out of those modes, then I can receive what she says. And usually, 99.9% of the time, she's correct. 99, no. All right. <laughs> he must have got in trouble yesterday. That was a very politically correct answer. Um, so how often do you all, like, how do you make time to, to date? You know, how do you, you know, with all the hustle and bustle of life, do you still make time to go out and hang out together and, you know, just court one another. I would say, honestly, not enough. Mm-hmm. Um, you do have to be very purposeful in it and make time to date one another. But I would say, you know, we don't, like, go out all the time and do that kind of stuff, but we do date at home. And it's okay to do that. That's it's a date. It's a date. Oh. We together, we spend the time. It's right. a date. But we would get a... And I know you hate this, but we still get red box movies. <laughs> they like red box. What is that? It's that little it's that red box in front of Kroger and CVS. That's what we're talking about. Dollar seventy nine. Y'all still got a DVD player? We got a DVD. Absolutely. Player. All right. I was born in 
Well, I ain't gonna tell you when I was born. Yeah, I need you to Google Well, you them. can date at home, so don't feel pressured that it got to be something all expensive. Because you're married. When you're married, you can date at home. You can date at home. All right, yes. single folks won't married. get them confused. Yes, don't get confused. And I think it's also, so she is, uh, leans to the introverted side, and I'm an extrovert. So while she what? considers, <laughs> I, I lean a little. I'm kind of shy, don't y'all think? Oh, I got my twist redone, so this was a good week, y'all. Um, but anyway, so, so, so for her, staying, she could stay at home when she gets off work on Friday until we come to church on Sunday. Like, I'm looking to get out the house seven, eight times, and so I'll just make up some place to go. And so I have to appreciate sometimes when she is in, I want to stay at home, and I, I feed off people. I, you know, I get energy. I'm like, I, she could work out in the basement. I'm like, I need to go to the gym. I need to see something. Even though I'm not talking to you, but I need that, that energy. So you have to kind of find that partner's rhythm. So sometimes we'll go out, um, and then sometimes, you know, we'll make the, and stay at home. We don't do it enough. I think one thing after having our kids both kind of grown and out of the way is that we had to look back and like, well, what do we do for fun? When, when do we have fun? And you actually have to think about, be purposeful about that thinking like, okay, we have to have something that we do together um, to, to in, for enjoyment outside of, you know, other stuff. Okay, now let's, let's, let's talk some real stuff right now. Okay. Let me give you a scenario. So let's say you upstairs and you happen to be in the bedroom and you see Gary left a Gucci sock right in front of the dresser. Now you've been asking him about this sock all day and he still hadn't picked it up. Now, do you wait till you calm down or do you go approach Gary like if he's watching the game or doing something or are you just right in his face, hey, go pick up your sock. How do you handle disagreements like that? Do you calm down or is it, you know, in the heat of the moment? How do you get him to pick up that sock? <laughs> and this does happen quite a bit. Um, but I, I calm down. You know, there's no purpose in a, approaching him about a sock that's on the floor. It's not hurting anyone or doing anything. Yes, it's irritating. But I will wait till I calm down, and I will ask him to get the sock. Or sometimes, depending on the mood, I will get the sock for him. Oh, that's, oh, so, that's so sweet. I don't remember the last time that happened, but I'm going. <laughs> exactly. Um, Yesterday. So, so I think as a, a as a parent, you think, and and look, mothers, I get it. You do so much for your kids, and it's constantly like, okay, I got to do this, I got to do that. And so when you have kids, sometimes you get out of. I think you get out of the mode of that catering side. So I'm not. I'm, I won't say I'm in the traditional sense. But if you see my sock, just pick it up. You picked up your kids' socks. You picked up. You know. You did all that. Like I. You know. We've been married 26 years, but we've had kids for 24. 24. Right. We we was married before we had kids. Um, that, that worked out for us. Barely by Jesus. Um, no, I'm just joking. Um, but so so sometimes I say. You know, I, I see the sock. I mean, just grab it for me. Um, but then I also think she's not my mama. She's not my maid. I, I, did I hear amen from the? I, I can see Crystal. Um, and so um, I have to say, okay, it's a partnership. And so yeah, you know, I'll get the sock by the end of the day. But you know, sometimes I'm just like, ain't nobody here but me and you. Let the sock be. And it's I will a, let the sock be, so you don't have to get into a fight or argument or dispute over a sock. And you I think the other thing that is that, so we, 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 I can't, now you can help me. I can't think of it. We, we don't raise voices. So, so what's the difference between a disagreement and a fight? 
and do you see how you can avoid a fight? So I'm going to say for me growing up in a household that had parents that flat out fought, the, when I chose a mate, I, I chose someone who wasn't going to get on the rooftop about any and everything. And so I really did look for someone who was a little more calm. Like, I, I, I get the fire blood, and, you know, some, some people like to mix it up. So I'm going to go the opposite way, just because I really grew up in a household. That it, it, for years, it was a little volatile. It just kind of, you know, that's just, that was my experience. Um, and so we, we tend to, we will avoid some things. I would say, well, she says, well, she said we're getting a master's degree in avoidance because we'll walk around and there'll be something in the room and I don't want a confrontation. I don't want to say something hurtful because you, you I, as much as you are a Christian and a believer, sometimes a thought will pop in your head about how you want to pop off with your mouth and you got to say, now, if I say that, really what's going to happen? And so I, I got a smart mouth. I'm first to admit it. Um, I try to keep it in control. It's the anointment of Jesus that helps me. Anointment? But I, the anointment. But my, I gotta, I, my mouth can be a little smart. So, so I have to always think, like, how is she going to respond? But so I, I tend to de-escalate and avoid or, or suck it in. And then she. My personality is already that way. And I grew up in a home that didn't argue. So it was perfectly fine for me to be in a relationship or partnership where that was the case. We decided from the beginning that was not going to be our testimony. We were not going to get into arguments, hollering and screaming. We made that agreement from the beginning, and we have done that. Do you think it was important for your children to see you guys in love? And how did they react to seeing you guys in love? Because I have a four- and six-year-old, and they're little player haters. So, you know, every time I try and, you know, slide next to their mama, you know what I'm saying, they be acting up. But... um. How is, is, how was it important for you to, how, what is the value of your kids seeing you in love? And you think that will carry over into their marriage? Absolutely. Um, when they would see us being affectionate in public, you know, all that, um, of course they would be like, ugh, go get a room and all of that. Um, but now, even just recently, we had our anniversary, and my daughter was like, thank you for being great examples for us. So. Aww. That's beautiful. <laughs> yes. So I, I, I would say, I would add that, um, so, I mean, you do have to kind of, um, you want to show, you want to show them what you think they want to see in a spouse. So, we, you know, we didn't do the argument and the affection. And I, and I would say, um, you, you have to be mindful. So, you know, I would think, like, are the kids awake? If I'm trying to be, you know, unwind, you know, like, I, you know, so, you, you know, if, as a parent, you just have this idea of your children busting in on your intimate moments. And it's just like this picture in my head. And I'm like, you know, I don't know if I can recover from that. And so, but then somebody said, well, you don't have no lock on your door. So what do you expect? But I mean, so you, but you have to, you, you have to take into account the person's kind of personal, um, how they feel about um, that display um, in public and private. And so like, we'll be in the the mall, and so I'll touch, you know, I'll bump her hand, and I'll be like, oh, we can hold hands. You know, we, she grew up uh, Kojic, I grew up Baptist, so I ain't going to tell you what the differences are. <laughs> but there was just a certain way 
that you, you think you're supposed to act. And so I, saw, I think some of that freedom and being in that committed uh, covenant relationship is realizing there is nothing between you as you and your spouse that God hasn't ordained. So, you know, you in, we want, want to enjoy each other. And I think that's the thing we constantly remind ourselves so our kids can see that in a, in a relationship, you don't have to have this hollering, you don't have to have what you see on TV, and you can, you know, express love and affection for each other in a respectful way. Like, you know, she, she ain't got to have on jeans that's down showing stuff. I mean, I, you know, they could be granny jeans, and I'd be like, you looking good in them jeans, girl. <laughs> I didn't even know they made granny jeans. But okay, so <laughs> y'all, I just want y'all to, um, to take in what it looks like to have a godly marriage and um, to see that it's not bad work, but it's great work. The greatest work in the world to be married when you do it God's way. So right now, we're going to turn it over to um, one, one married guy who I ultimately respect. He like a married OG, triple OG. Y'all give it up for our executive pastor, the, our executive producer, pastor extraordinaire, Pastor Andre Butler. Amen. Woo, I didn't know when I got old enough to be an OG, but I'll, I'll, I'll take the compliment. <laughs> Y'all ready for the word? Let's pray. Thank you, Father, that we have the opportunity to receive your instructions on what you created, family and marriage. We pray, Father, that you do help us to not just get information today, but we receive revelation from heaven that actually bring good life change. And Father, we're open to anything that you want to do during this time. We give you the praise and glory for it all. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, today we're continuing the series we've been studying entitled Broken. Has anybody enjoyed Broken so far? Of course, as we've said, you know, there's a lot of people that if they were to look at their family life, they might describe it as broken. Whether they're struggling single or their marriage is, is on the cusp of divorce or the kids are acting crazy or they've got in-laws that are interfering. Whatever the cause, there are a lot of people that would say that my family life is broken. And one of the things that we've talked about is that God can fix your family. That God is a God who can take what's in ashes and make something beautiful out of it. That circumstances can change. Feelings can change. Your family life can actually be the best part or one of the best parts of your life. And last week, we kind of shifted focus and began to talk a little bit about marriage. And we talked in particular about or talked to couples that have lost that love and feeling, that are still together, but frankly, they're not together. They're not in love. They don't seem to have that spark anymore. And we gave a couple of, of uh, instructions to help them fall in love again. And I want to go over a couple of those real quickly. But before I do, I want to mention that if you're single and you're hearing this today, I think you should still pay attention. Because if you're single and you want to get married, you're going to want to know these things so that you have a great marriage. If you're single and you're saying, I, I don't want to get married ever, well, I'm sure God's going to send somebody to you that may need your help. And if you're married and you're saying, hey, we're doing great, well, then you really want to listen to this because it's going to help you to stay in love. So, of course, last week we began in Song of Solomon, chapter 2 and verse 5. I want to read that again, where Solomon's wife said, Oh, give me something refreshing to eat, and quickly, apricots, raisins, anything, I'm about to faint with love. As a number of translations say, I am lovesick. And then Proverbs chapter 5 and verse 19 would read about what God says to the man. He says, A loving doe, a graceful deer... May her breast satisfy you always, 
May you ever be intoxicated with her love. So notice, lovesick, intoxicated. These two words describe how God wants the man and the woman to feel about their marriage. He wants them to be in love. He wants them to be so in love, they're basically drunk in love. He wants their marriage to be full of passion. When he described or he created marriage, this is what he had in mind. And so there are a few things that we can do to make sure that we're experiencing that. The first is, once again, to make a great marriage a priority. Make having a great marriage a priority. And a question that I didn't ask last week but is worth asking today is, does your spouse feel like a priority or an accessory? Are you telling your spouse, take a number? It's just something to think about. And something else that we ought to really pay attention to is the fact that it's a myth uh, that the pace of our lives or even being tired all the time is an excuse for not being romantic in your marriage. It's not an excuse. You make time for what's most important to you. And so if your marriage is a priority, then you're going to make time for romance and sex before some of those other things that are wiping you out. Thank you for those two amens. You know, really, your marital work ethic, how much work you're willing to put in to make this marriage great, lets you know if whether or not this is a priority to you or not. If you're lazy about your marriage, you haven't made it a priority. But if you're willing to do whatever it takes for us to have a great marriage, now you're on the right track. I came across a quote, and it said, in the last 50 years, our society has shifted from a marriage-oriented society to a kid-oriented society. The temptation to structure all activity and decisions around the children threatens marital oneness. And here's something to think about. If you want to love your kids, prioritize your marriage. And very, it's very true, my wife and I are guilty of this often, that what we do is we end up building our family life around our children and their interest at the cost of our great marriage. And what you end up doing is sometimes breaking up that marriage, which will harm the kids far more than not taking them to whatever game that they were supposed to go to. At the very least, they don't get to see the example of a great marriage that they need to see so they can have one themselves. Number two, we found out you need to decide to do marriage God's way. God created marriage. He knows how to make it sing. He knows how to make it great. And we just simply need to follow his instructions. And somebody once said this. They said, in marriage, you only have to please one person. Just one. So stop focusing on what makes you happy and find out what makes them happy. And then number three, we said you need to act like you're in love. You need to do what people in love do right now, even if you're not feeling it. That means you need to, to meet her needs, brother, even if you're not feeling it. That means you need to love and, and respect him, ladies, even if you're not feeling it. You, you need to have sex even if you don't feel sexy right now because actually for the married man and woman, having sex is being holy and not having sex is being in sin and can be fatal to your marriage. Ultimately, we found that falling in love again is a choice and you simply need to choose to do things the way that God said in his word and you'll have the results that you want in your marriage. Now, I want to go to a fourth point. I'm, I'm going to spend the entire time on this point today. Uh, and I think it's, it's 
something that if you actually apply it to your life, you make your, this a part of your schedule, you'll find that it's actually not that hard to be in love. It's so, so much of life is about habits. I mean, anybody ever noticed that, you know, if you don't brush your teeth seven days a week or, you know, you, you, know, you don't brush your teeth, after a while your teeth rot. I was kind of hoping nobody would raise their hand because that would have meant that you wasn't brushing your teeth. But, I mean, my point, you know, get my point. If you work out, it's a habit, you look fit. If you don't work out and you eat wrong, that's your habit. You don't. Uh, and the thing about habits is that they can work for you and they can work against you, right? Uh, a, a bad habit can hurt you. A good habit can help you. And habits are something that you eventually start doing without even thinking about it. You know, I didn't think about brushing my teeth this morning. Now, I did. But you know what I'm saying? I didn't get up and, oh, I got to get myself to brush my teeth. Oh, I got to get my, I didn't think about praying this morning. I just did. Why? It's become a habit. And there's some marital habits that you need to have so that you fall in love again and you stay in love again. And so my fourth point to this is simply to practice great marital habits. And the first habit I want to talk about is simply this. Give a compliment, a hug, and a kiss every day. It's going to be very practical. Habit number one, give a compliment, a hug, and a kiss every day. In Proverbs 25, verse 11, reads in this way, it says, the right word at the right time is like a custom-made piece of jewelry. The right word at the right time is like a custom-made piece of jewelry. In other words, words have power. Words can, if you've studied the Bible, you find that they can encourage you. Words can heal you. Words can motivate you. Words are extremely valuable. And let's go a step farther. Words are powerful. I mean, God created this world with his words. And you can create a great marriage with your words. Flattery is extremely powerful. I won't take you there, but in Proverbs, you'll find over and over again, God talks about, the married man avoiding what the Bible calls the strange woman. This is someone who just isn't right. They don't care about doing right. They're someone that, that will tempt you to commit adultery. And what it says about her is how she flatters with her lips. In fact, what I uh, noticed was that God says a lot more about her lips than her hips. And you would think when it comes to men that what would attract them more is what they see. And, of course, that's a big part of it. But God made mention consistently about her, her lips, how she knows what to say to that man. One minister that I grew up listening to, she, she was a pastor in, in Jackson, Mississippi, up until recently. Her name is Kay Stramler. And I remember being a teenager hearing her preach about this, and she would tell ladies, build his ego. She yell it out. How many of y'all know Sister Kay? How many of y'all remember hearing her say something? She would say it all the time, build his ego, tell him he's the greatest thing ever. And, and she was on to something. She was on to something because men and women are, are in some ways still little boys and little girls. 
You ever notice how a little boy would be outside playing on a jungle gym or something, and he'll be hanging upside down, and what does he say? Mama, look. What's he want? He wants mama to praise him. Oh, baby, you're so strong. That's amazing. And little girls the same way. They'll be doing a doll's hair or something or drawing or something. Mama, look. What are they saying? What do they want? They want you to say, oh, man, you're, you're so talented. We're still the same. We're just a little bigger. And when it comes to your spouse, you want, you've got some mama looks, look moments, right? You want, you want to, them to, to look at you and say, man, you are amazing. You're beautiful. You're gorgeous. You're so sweet. You're so strong. You're, you're, you're one in a million. In fact, in Song of Solomon, we see that it demonstrated to us in verse, chapter 4 and verse 7, you'll notice what Solomon's wife said to him. She said, you're beautiful from head to, to oh, he said to her, excuse me, you're beautiful from head to toe, my dear love, beautiful beyond compare, absolutely flawless. What woman doesn't want to hear that she's absolutely flawless? Now, she says to him in chapter 5 and verse 10, my dear lover glows with health, red-blooded, radiant. He's one in a million. There is no one quite like him. What God doesn't want to hear, there's nobody like you. You the man. You the man. Right? You, that's really what the type of uh, communication that should be happening on a regular basis in a marriage. You may not have to say it the way they said it in Song of Solomon, but you should be giving compliments to your spouse. You should find something every day to compliment them about. And you might be mad at them. They might be getting on your nerves, but there's something you can say. That looks good on you, honey. I like the way your hair looks. I like the way you swept the floor. I mean, I don't know. You can come up with something. <laughs> when it's all said and done, you know, the way that you really show your wife you cherish her, one of the best ways is through what you say to her. One of the best ways to show your husband you respect him, as the Bible says, cherish your wife and respect your husband. One of the best ways to do that is by what you say to him. You really want to make your wife or your husband feel like royalty. And, you know, we kind of get this when it comes to women because, you know, most of us have seen couples where she is stunning and he is, well, and you're like, how on earth? Did he get her? It's because he learned how to talk to her. Women are moved by what they hear. That's why you got to be very dangerous, ladies, particularly married women, about men who are flattering you that's not your husband. Because you won't even be thinking about them in that way. And they start talking to you like that, and suddenly you will be thinking about them in that way. And they know what they're doing. No, women are moved by what they hear. And so we get that. We get, man, if a guy has some game, he knows how to talk to a woman, then that's only going to, you know, she, that's going to, you know, speak to her, for lack of a better term. Uh, that's going to make her feel special. But it goes the other way. Denzel Washington says something. He says, a wise woman knows the importance of speaking life into her man. If you love him, believe in him, encourage him, and be his peace. Somebody else said this. They said, Guys deserve to be spoiled and treated like a king on a daily basis. How do you expect to be treated like a queen 
if you treat him like a servant on a daily basis. Oh, boy, I'm about to duck. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying is you really need to daily compliment your spouse. Just, just one compliment a day. Make it your habit. They don't have to know what you're doing. They might know what you're doing, and they still like it. But that's part of it. But, of course, that's not the whole point. We said every day we want you to give a compliment, a hug, and a kiss every day. Pastor, why a hug? Well, here, here's something I, I, I came across. They said the average length of a hug between two people is three seconds. But researchers have discovered something fantastic. When a hug lasts 20 seconds, there is a therapeutic effect on the body and mind. The reason is that a sincere hug produces a hormone called oxytocin. We talked about that last week, didn't we? Also known as a love hormone. This substance has many benefits in our physical and mental health. It helps us, among other things, to relax, to feel safe and calm our fears and anxiety. This wonderful calming is offered free of charge every time we have a person in our arms. And that's true. That's, you know, God, one of the words that you find in Titus when it talks about wives and their husbands and, and talks about affectionately loving your husband. You know, women particularly need affection. Men need affection too. And one great way to be affectionate is to give a hug. And even science tells you that, man, when you give each other a hug, that actually heals, it helps, and it, it helps you to feel closer together. There's one other thing that we mentioned, and that is to give a kiss every day. And I want to read something else to you. I'm going to be very practical today. Is that all right? I want to just give y'all something to just take home and do. So I came across this great article uh, from a ministry called Fierce Marriage. I'm going to read a little bit of it to you. It's called The 15-Second Kiss Experiment. Individual said this. He said, a few weeks back, I met a gentleman, a gentleman at church named Tim. Tim and his wife had been married many years. I can't remember exactly, but it was like at least 30. And they weathered many trials through their marriage, cancer included. Naturally, I asked him what the secret was, as I usually do when I meet someone with an epic marriage. How had they stuck together through everything? He simply replied, the 15-second kiss. Intrigued, I asked, what do you mean? Though I suppose I could have figured it out. He responded, every day my wife and I always give each other a 15-second kiss. It's long enough that you can't fake it. It forces us to connect. I had never heard of purposely timing a kiss. It was a novel idea I was anxious to try. He went on to say he and his wife kiss plenty, but they don't often do for more than a few seconds. And, uh, and so he said he made a sales pitch to his wife, and they agreed for, 15, for a few days to do this. And he said, number one, they found that 15 seconds isn't that long, except when you're kissing. And he went on to say that at first they were both aware of the time because of the exercise, but over time they simply got lost in the kiss. And if other couples are like them, then often you get too busy to get too lost doing anything. But this was a refreshing reminder of getting lost in their affection for each other. Number two was that it was nearly impossible to kiss for an extended period of time and not feel closer. Talked about them getting lost together, that kissing simply makes you feel closer. And then also that it refocuses us on who we are to each other. When your kiss will be close to your spouse, smelling their breath, feeling their skin, you remember who they are as a person. And it forces us to drown out the distractions around us. 
Then he mentioned that kissing is a gateway drug. It contributes to overall friskiness. I don't have to say much more there. And then lastly, he mentions that it refreshes and it energizes us, that it's, it's like an adrenaline shot. And he said, whether you or your spouse are constant kissers or even if you've forgotten what a French kiss is, I highly recommend giving this exercise a shot. And feel free to go longer than 15 seconds. I thought that was good information. I took a, stopped my whole message to read an article to y'all. Once again, very practical. Does the Bible say I got to kiss in 15 seconds? No. But I'm trying to show you how to put some meat on the bones, how to act on what the Bible teaches. And so one, one great marital habit to have is to give a compliment, hug and kiss your spouse every day. All right, number two, Deuteronomy chapter 24 and verse 5 reads, When a man have taken a new wife, he shall not go out to war, neither shall he be charged with any business, but he shall be free at home one year, and shall cheer up his wife, which he had taken. Now, this is under the Old Testament. This was the law in Israel. God established this law for a reason. And it was that he wanted the wife happy in her marriage. And he wanted that happiness. He wanted that marriage being strong to be a priority. He actually prioritized it over that husband going to fight in what might be an ongoing war. That husband, you know, pursuing what might be a great business opportunity. He says, no, during that first year, I just want him free at home so he can cheer her up. That means to make her gleesome, to make her happy. And notice, once again, what would make her happy was that he was at home with her. What's implied here is that he was giving her his undivided attention. And don't forget, back then, you didn't have televisions. You didn't have cell phones. So when he was home, he's with her. And God knew that the man giving his wife undivided attention would help cheer her up. So he made this a law and their nation at that time. So I want to give you number two here, which is to, the number two habit is to spend 15 minutes a day connecting. Spend 15 minutes a day connecting. I want you to make time for we and not just for me. And what do you mean 15 minutes a day? Well, I can tell you just from my own experience that, you know, what I used to do when I first came home from work before we had kids was before I picked up a newspaper, before I watched a television show, before I did anything, I would sit down with my wife or we'd be in the kitchen just, and we would just talk for about 10, 15 minutes. And, you know, we wouldn't just talk about the day. We'd just talk about whatever. And what I found was that because I did that, that I was, I was meeting a need that she had for conversation. And what I found was that whenever I did that, then, then my wife, by the time we got done, she'd be like, hey, didn't you, didn't you want to watch a game? Wasn't there something you wanted to do? And that's a far cry from all he do is watch the game. How come you always running there and grabbing your Xbox? How come you always? See, that happens because you didn't give her her time first. But you'd be surprised when you prioritize 
her and, and the marriage, and you take the time to let me connect with you first, how then she'll feel that need is met, and now she's like, hey, baby, how can I help you? Hey, why don't you go ahead and do what you want to do? And if you think about it, isn't this how you fell in love in the first place? Whether you went on dates together or whether you, you uh, were on the phone all the time or some variation of it, you just spent time together. You spent time connecting. And you got to know each other. And you, you fell in love with each other. And sometimes when we get married, we, we stop doing that. And then we wonder why I don't feel the same. Well, it's not rocket science. you got to make a decision to spend time connecting. Now, now that we have kids, uh, and, and what, one of the things we ended up shifting and doing was we, we found we couldn't do that when I first got home because the kids had homework, or you're taking this kid here, this kid there. So once they were in bed, then we take the first 15 minutes and let's talk, let's connect. And that was something that helped us out for a long time. And so I want to challenge you to do that. And, and one of the reasons is because it meets the wife's emotional need. Women, women have five emotional needs. Number one, affection. That's why the first point was so important, for example. Conversations. Number two, financial security or commitment. Honesty and openness, as well as uh, for the husband to be a good father or family commitment. So when you're giving your wife undivided attention, you're meeting her need for conversation and somewhat her need for affection or connection. This means that you got to choose your spouse over your phone. Y'all was with me until I spoke such blasphemy. <laughs> How dare you tell me not to bow down to the God of iPhone or Android. But it's true. I, there are a number of studies out now that talk about how fubbing, as they call it, not snubbing, fubbing. In other words, you're snubbing them using your phone. Hurts your marriage, hurts your sex life. And I've seen so many pictures online of a husband and wife in the bed, and they both go the direction looking at their phone. In fact, I had one picture I posted, and it was literally right in the, in the middle of the bed was a giant phone. And there's nothing wrong with your phone or your television or your hobbies. What's wrong is when that becomes the priority. When that's taken away from connecting with the person God has brought into your life, you need to choose your spouse over your phone or over your television or even over your kids. You got to learn to tell the kids, hey, step away from mama. We'll come catch you in a minute. Go play with your brother, your sister. I don't want to. Yeah. Right? That's why we had them, so you can have somebody to play with anyway. No. We was cool. No, I'm just kidding. You want, you want to um, make deposits into their love bank. I like that terminology. There's a book called His Needs, Her Needs. It talks about some of these things. And it talks about how all of us have a love bank. And, you know, when that love bank is empty is when we don't feel too great about each other. And just like a normal bank then, you've got to make intentional deposits to have something in that love bank. And you make those deposits through doing some of the stuff we already talked about, complimenting and, and hugging and, and kissing and, and just spending time connecting. Because you're not going to get rich overnight. If things aren't great now, it's not going to change and become great tomorrow because you heard a message. But if you'll start intentionally depositing into their love bank, then what you'll find is that that love will come back again. Someone said this. They said, ignoring your partner's needs and expecting a happy relationship 
is like ignoring your plants need water and still expecting a beautiful garden. Number three need. Go on a date every week. Go on a date every week. Y'all, y'all with me? I don't know if y'all just quiet or y'all sleeping. or I can't really see y'all because of the light. So I just see like splotches of people. Some dark-skinned folk I can't see at all. Some light-skinned folk I can see some. Some Caucasian folk I see a little bit more. But I can't really see y'all. So I'm hoping y'all are there. I ain't just preaching to myself. Anyway, moving on. So Genesis 26. If you know this story, you know that Isaac was afraid that when he came to the Philistines that they would kill him over his wife, she was that fine. So he lied and said, she's my sister. And uh, the king of the Philistines brought her into his house, if I remember correctly. You know, eventually he's probably going to try to marry her. And in verse 8 it says, it came to pass when he had been there a long time that Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked through a window and saw, and there was Isaac showing endearment to Rebekah, his wife. The actual King James Version says sporting, and that means to laugh outright, to laugh, you know, you know, and love, and, and why you because you're happy, you're having fun. It also is translated to play. So he saw Isaac, he saw Rebekah, and if you were to keep reading this story, you find that he didn't pull call Isaac in and said, That is not your sister, that is your wife. Now think about this. When's the last time you were in public and because of the way you were acting, people knew you were married? They knew you were married. But that's what was going on here. And so uh, the end result of, of them playing together was that it led to this man realizing what was going on and Isaac was able to get his wife back. But this is a good picture of really what needs to be happening in your relationship. Well, we talked about a woman's emotional needs, and clearly going on a date every week actually helps meet some of those needs. But, you know, men have emotional needs, too. I like what T.D. Jace calls them. He calls them he-motions. Men got he-motions. Any men got any he-motions in here? See, some guys wouldn't raise their hand because of their he-motion called pride. <laughs> anyway, um, so what do men need? Well, the first thing is sexual fulfillment. They need admiration. I think those are the two big ones. Then the next thing is recreational companionship. He needs his wife to play with him. Do some, you know, just have fun with him. I remember when I was, when we were married early on, it's before we had kids. I was, it's amazing all the stuff you could do before you had kids. But I used to, I used to, um, I don't even know what system I had back then. I don't know if it was a PlayStation or Sega Genesis. I don't know which one it was. But I had, um, I had Madden, John Madden football. And so I used to play every year. I played Madden. This is the first year I can think of that I haven't played it because I just didn't get a chance to buy it this year. But I used to play it and, you know, have fun with it. And my wife started playing it. Now, she loves sports. But she started playing it because I was playing it. And she got so good that when people would come over and they want to, you know, they want to challenge me, I'm like, you got to be her first. She was the ringer. And she would wax the floor with them. And I'd be like, see, you can't even handle her. I taught her, so you, you don't even want to play me. So... But there are other things like that, you know, that I like doing that she would choose to do with me. My, mo my mother's great at this. My dad likes to hunt. For years, he was really into hunting. And so, you know, my mother, she is not, uh, I wouldn't say she's not athletic, but she is not that type. There's nothing wrong with that type. But I'm just saying, my mom, you know, she, she's not the type that you would think would go out there and put on camouflage and go hunting. But she did for my dad. 
Now he's in the golf. So what does she do? She's in the golf league with him. And it goes the other way around. Right? And there are things that she likes. My wife loves going to the mall. Of course. <laughs> so I go to the mall with her. You know? And, and but Yeah, help us, Lord. That's right. That's where you thank God for the iPhone or the Android while you're sitting there like at least no. Anyway, um, see, going on a weekly date, uh, it helps to meet her emotional needs, including the need for romance, depending on what you're doing. And also helps to meet his need. It helps you to stay connected, to feel connected. There's something about doing something together that just impacts how I feel about it. And we understand that. Once again, we said it earlier, how did you fall in love in the first place? You probably have some memories of your first dates or some crazy things that happen on dates. I remember my wife and I, we went to, uh, when we were, after we were married, we went to uh, somewhere in Mexico. I think it was Cancun. And we were walking down the street, and it was like a side street. Now that I think about it, I don't know why we were on that street. We walk around the street, and, you know, here I am, a young black man, and and, and, and some guy walks up to me, and I guess he assumes some things. He said, hey, bro, you want some weed and some blow? Weed and some blow? Weed and some blow? And I'm like, weed and some blow? We- oh, weed and some blow. Man, we laughed about that for years. I'd be walking in the house, my wife would be like, want some weed and some blow? I mean, you know, like, no, silly. Moments like that happen when you spend time together. You're not supposed to lose those moments because you're married or you have a job or you have kids. You need to prioritize going on a date every week. And it doesn't have to cost a lot of money. There are many times we would get in the car and we literally sit there and say, what are we doing? We sit in the driveway, where are we going? What you want to see? I don't know what you want to see. I don't know. We're, we're going to do something. And, and there are some times you just do it at home. But the idea is you got to spend this time connecting and, 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 and as well so you have time together. Date your mate. Number four, and this really is for, for the fellas, but the ladies too. Do something romantic, fellas, or sexy ladies every week. Do something romantic. What do you mean, Pastor? Be something romantic. Get her a gift, write her a letter. Get her a car. Maybe romantic to her is that you did the dishes. But, oh, my goodness, look at that. I done hit the nail on the head. You got to talk to her because romance is different things to different women. I, when I had that conversation with my wife years ago, and they were like, I don't know who preached it. Like, you need to talk to your wife and find out what's romantic to her. Because when you hear romance as a man, you think of money and a ridiculous amount of time. And you think about something that's unattainable. Like, I can't do what they did in that Tyler Perry movie. That's not real. I don't have a jet or a Bentley because I spend my money on you. No, I'm just kidding. But really, you just need to find out what's romantic to her. When I had that conversation with my wife, and I was like, what's romantic to you? And she told me a few things. I was like, that's it? Like, I can do that. That's possible. And so it's good, you know, to, to be creative. There's so much, not only information about this, Bible teaching about this, but there's so many uh, 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 articles, there's so many gifts, there's so many ideas, you know, factories that you can, you can go to to 
to find a way to do something romantic for her. Websites. I mean, be creative. Put your heart into making her feel special every week in some way. And once again, it doesn't have to be crazy. It can be just as simple as, you know, you just put a little something on her pillow. I appreciate everything you do for our family. And just move on. But do something like that every week. Just once a week. Put it in your phone. She don't have to know what's in there. It alerts you every week. Oh, get her some romantic. She don't have to know. In fact, the fact that you even thought to even schedule it might be romantic to her. Because you want to make sure she feels special. And let's go to the other side. Ladies, do something sexy for him every week. Let me say this for the married men's benefit. Ladies, lingerie is of the Lord. No. That's not in the Bible, but some brothers might have gave an amen anyway. But, you know, it's not just about sex. You know, you can really find a way to hook him up with, you know, things that he likes or he enjoys. You know, maybe he has a hobby and you can just get a little something for him. Or, you know, he likes going to the game and, hey, I hooked you up with some tickets. Something like that. If you can do that every week, at least, and I said every week, but, you know, if you did it once a month, that's, that's at least a start. Talking about some, good, some great marital habits that will help you to fall in love again. All right, let's go on to the next one. I'm glad y'all was laughing and shouting and all that stuff, whatever. Y'all with me? Have sex multiple times a week. All right, that, that's the most base I have heard since I've been preaching at FX Church. No. Hmm. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 1 says, because there is so much sexual immorality, as one translator said, to avoid sexual sin, each man should have his own wife and each woman should have her own husband. The husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs. The wife should fulfill her husband's sexual needs. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband. The husband gives authority over his body to his wife. Do not deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. Afterward, you should come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. couple thoughts here. And even if you're single, say, I don't want to hear this. You still need to hear. You're a teenager. You may say, I don't want to hear this. You want to get married one day. You still need to hear this. So you know how this is supposed to work. Honestly, I think if more singles understood this before they got married, they'd make a more informed decision. Let's be real, because God's expectation for sex and marriage is not what the world's is. It's not what Christians is. He's on an entirely different level. And because we don't conform to his level, that's one reason why we have so much porn and adultery. Because God is literally saying the husband is the wife's sex toy, and the wife is the husband's. God's literally saying the reason why I gave them to you or gave you to them is for their sexual fulfillment. God's actually saying here that, that you're supposed to have regular sexual fulfillment from your spouse to the place where you don't even feel tempted to cheat. Tempted. Come on, that's what he's talking about here. That doesn't sound like most people's marriages. We've got this idea that this is some type of an optional thing some type of a bonus, some type of a reward. When God says, no, actually, this is what you agreed to when you got married. Notice some of the terminology he uses here. 
And, and I, especially if you look at the King James, it uses things like do benevolence, meaning this is what you owe. Notice the terms here. The husband doesn't have the right or authority over his body, and the wife doesn't have authority over her body. And in other words, you know, if I give you the keys to my car, I've given you authority. You can use it anytime you want, right? And, and, and so, you know, that, that's what he's saying. Hey, man, you've given the keys to your, your body to your spouse. That's what you were doing when you said, I do. You already did that. You don't get to take those back. Now, it doesn't mean that they should just be selfish, and, you know, but at the same time, let's just, let's just, before we get into all the exceptions, let's just look at it the way God wrote it. So God, God has a different view here. He's saying, I mean, the husband's supposed to make the wife sexually pleased. The wife's supposed to make the husband sexually pleased. You'll notice sex is not about giving. It's about taking. He's telling us here that, that they ought to really uh, have continual sexual fulfillment with each other. In fact, he goes a step farther in verse 5 when he says that don't even deprive each other of sexual relations. Don't do it. Don't. Hold back in this way. He says the only time that you all shouldn't be coming together is when you're having a fast for the purpose of prayer, to spend time with God. You both agree to that fast. Now, when you hear of a fast, you hear of something that doesn't happen on a regular basis, right? Most people don't fast every week. Did I lose y'all? Do people fast every week? Most people don't, right? You might do one or two fasts a year. You know, people fast seven days, 30. Some people do 40 days. But it's a rare thing, right? You know, I'm, I'm staying away from something for a certain amount of time to give that time to prayer, to get that time to God. I'm not just fasting something to fast it because that's not Bible fasting. It's taking that time and using it to get closer to God, right? So it's not a normal thing. It just happens every once in a while. And usually when you're talking about a fast, you, you're going seven days, 12 days, something, 30 days, 40 days if you're trying to be Moses or Jesus or something. But the longest sex fast in the Bible was three days. That's a fast. In other words, that's long. There's a book called the Talmud, and it's something that, you know, religious scholars during, from Israel wrote about and wrote in and they, they wrote their understanding of what the Bible was teaching. And, I'm not, and, and so I won't get too deep into it, but I will mention this, that they came to the conclusion that the Bible was actually teaching that a husband and wife are supposed to be together every day. That was their understanding of the Bible. Now, Pastor, are you saying we should have sex every day? I'm not saying that. But I am saying that God's idea of sex and marriage is far different than what ours is. And one of the things that husbands and wives need to do is they need to come together really, you know, multiple times a week. Now, you have to have a conversation amongst yourselves in terms of what your needs are and what you're expecting because, you know, different people are at different ages and there are different things going on medically and all those things. But you got to do it in the spirit of what God intended. And what God intended was not for the husband or the wife to be without sexual fulfillment. He did not intend for them to be in a position where they are sexually tempted because their spouse is not meeting that need. Man, it's quiet in here. I guess it's because I said the, the, the three-letter word, you know. What are you saying, Pastor? 
If sex is not a priority in your marriage, you should make it one. Because when you and your spouse improve your sex life, you will simultaneously improve your marriage. There's one woman, she has a ministry called to love, honor, and vacuum. And she said this, during her studies, she's written a number of books, she said, the happiest couples I found were those who are making love three to four times a week. When you connect like that, it has repercussions on how you feel about each other. Man, Pastor, that, that's, that's wild. And sometimes ladies struggle with this. But one other woman said this. She says, I am certain the best advice on sex I ever got is this. My husband set aside all other women for me. So if we're going to have sex, I'm going to make it awesome sex. I'm going to choose to initiate it sometimes. I'm going to surprise him here and there. Grossing out my kids by laying a really good, solid kiss on my husband is totally awesome. And if I'm not in the mood, I'm asking God to help me turn on the intimacy fires for my husband because this is God's gift for us to share. And thus far, he's, been, he's totally answered on that. Notice this is a decision. This is, this is what you agreed to when you said, I do. I did a wedding yesterday, our first FX wedding. It was great. And I counseled them before the wedding. This is one of the things we talked about. This is what marriage, this is what you are agreeing to when you say, I do. And that's interesting because in general, women want to feel love before they have sex. And men need to have sex in order to feel loved, right? Uh, men see sex as a form of stress relief. Women see, feel like I need stress relief before I have sex. So you can see how there's this chicken and egg thing. Right? Well, he needs this to happen before he'll do this, and she needs this to happen before he'll do that. And what, what you got to do is you got you to get beyond that, your feelings, and say, what does God say? Let's do what God says and watch doing things God's way work. Now, if you want to have great sex, because you don't want to have passionless sex, you don't want to just go through this. God, that's not God's intention. If you read Song of Solomon, you can read about some, some what God considers to be great sex what he wants, then you better pay attention to those emotional needs, brother. And you better pay attention. You, gotta, you better make sure that you're using your words and you're being romantic. You're doing all those type of things. So the atmosphere for, for great sex is in your marriage and, and, and the other way around, ladies, as well. But ultimately, what we need to do is we need to, to make a point of prioritizing coming together in this way because it actually strengthens your marriage. You create a great environment in your marriage by giving a compliment, a hug, and a kiss every day, spending 15 minutes a day connecting, going on a date every week, and do doing something romantic or sexy for your spouse weekly, and having sex mul multiple times in a week. There's a few other things here, and I, I don't know. I think I'm out of time, so I'm going to have to stop. Maybe I'll give it to y'all next week. All right, I'm just going to stop. Y'all get anything out of this? Well, every head every closed in prayer. Thank you for tuning in to another Faith Experience podcast. Remember, God has a future for you.